Good morning, church family. This is awesome. Look at around us. Look at the diversity that we have in this place. It's like someone, Jesus was coloring and used all the colors of the markers. Are you that type of person that uses only one marker or all the markers? Oh, this is awesome. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, this is awesome. Oh, you didn't mean it. I said, this is awesome. Great, great. At this moment, uh, David, if you could help me out with the handouts, we are going to do work this morning because uh, we want to study the word and uh, we're going to have a handout this morning because I know that sometimes you say amen and amen during the sermon and praise God and touches you and then at lunch I'm asking, so, so what'd you get out of the sermon? And you're like, oh, I forgot already. So we're going to give you a handout today so that you have something to, to remember it. So raise your hand if you didn't get that handout. Um, if you don't have the handout, would you raise your hand at this moment? All right, we have a couple of people all over the place. And how about upstairs? How are you guys doing upstairs? You guys are good? All right. All right, good. Everyone's got the handout upstairs. If you don't have a pen, uh, there should be some pens or writing things right in front of you. Um, if not... You could look in your neighbor's purse, uh, but don't take anything else, just the pen. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, what did you guys come to church for, to hear a sermon or to praise God? Both, okay. Well, you know what praising God includes? It includes testimonies. Can I share a testimony before I begin? And my answer why all this stuff is stacked right here, that, that would be good to answer that question. Um, so... Lately, if you've been coming to this church, you've been hearing a lot of uh, sermons on um, Jesus Christ and his character, um, how he can help you through your problems and issues, uh, maybe a lot of Christ-centered, Christ-focused message, and we've been having this kind of movement among the pastors in Michigan where we want to really focus as Jesus, the center of all our Seventh-day Adventist doctrines. So while I've been preaching a lot of Christ-centered messages, I've been also in the background wanting to reword our Adventist doctrines in a way that uh, is more relevant to a younger generation, but also make it just full of Jesus. So our doctrines are just lights from the center, which are Jesus. And I thought that a good place to start would be with the worldview, the Seventh-day Adventist view the Bible and the world, and that's the great controversy between good and evil. So I decided to do a sermon series entitled, The Devil is Real, and then there would be a description after every week, The Devil is Real. This week it was going to be, The Devil is Real, Real. Then, Devil is Real, something else. You're going to have to come back for that. I'm not going to give it to you today. But I, whenever you're speaking about the enemy, the enemy is going to attack you. I remember when I was taking a tour at the Adventist Village in Battle Creek. Any of you been there? Anybody been there? Okay, some of you. That's where um, Ellen White, one of our church founders and pioneers, wrote the book Great Controversy. And it says that when she was writing that book, that she became deathly ill. And it was revealed to her that the devil was trying to kill her to prevent her from writing that book, The Great Controversy. So when I was trying to write this sermon... There was just stuff that was happening. And I decided that instead of just rushing through or, or not doing it a good service, I'm going to postpone that sermon series and take some time and in, in just do battle with that. 
One of the things that the devil threw at us, it has to do with our outreach that is happening September 4 to 6 called Crave Fest. We've been planning this for two years. We've invested thousands of dollars. I printed 5,000 flyers with dates and all that. And when we were ready to go, one of the things you have to do is request the university permission to do that event on the campus. And when we went to request it, we found out that our student club had been kind of locked out of the system and we were no longer registered as a club. And so we had to go through that whole process. And when I finally turned in a request for the event, it was later than it was expected. And the guy got back to me and he said, listen, you could request it, but we're not going to approve it on time for your event. It's just not going to happen. And I, my heart just went, oh, no. No, I had already printed these. We already spent a lot of money. We already, you know, rented the tent and everything. And I remember the sermons I'd been preaching the week before, the weeks before about we have problems and challenges and obstacles that they really can be a, they can really be a stumbling block or they could be a stepping stone. And I said, Stephen, what is this going to be? Is it going to be a stumbling block or is it going to be a, a step of faith up? And so there was a lot of things that I could have pulled back on spending money and organizing and planning, but I went ahead and planned as if we already had permission on that campus. And it was Friday yesterday. It was 3 p.m. You know, everything closes down at 5. Universities close all weekend. Monday's a holiday, and Tuesday we start. So I need that permission yesterday. It was 3 o'clock, and I'm there in my office and I'm praising God. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Maybe I should call somebody. So I call up the only department that's left, which is the board of trustees, which is the board that runs the whole school. And I call them to invite them to the program we're having by faith. And I said, we're going to have something called a solidarity wall where you guys could write messages of encouragement to sexual assault survivors. They've been discussing that a lot. And by the way, we also need approval for the sound. Would you be able to take care of that for us? One minute later, I got that email. Event approved. God is so good. So, in the meantime, I got 5,000 flyers and then you get out. But don't worry, Pastor Jermaine and missionaries. Look at all this church. Look at all these people. And it's the Sabbath today, so I know that today you have time. So after potluck today, we'll feed you. Don't worry. We're all going to get a stack of flyers. We're going to go on that campus. We're going to give one to every student we see. We're going to put them in the bathrooms, in the hallways, in the dorms. We're just going to fill that campus with, this, with these flyers because if it's not, it's going to stay there for the whole year if it doesn't go, okay? Just as a testimony against you. No, just kidding. All right, so God is good, right? Yeah. Stepping stone, not stumbling blocks. I hope God has been good to you. Today we're going to be studying a story in the Bible that, that is familiar to most Christians, no matter what denomination or background you come from. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you have your pens? Do you have your papers? Do you have your Bibles? Let's go to the verse which is found in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse number 25. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 25. What I love about these stories is that we kind of have to change our mindset when we get into the stories in the Bible because we have to get away from this Western uh, mentality and put ourselves in the place of a peasant in the Middle East, a Jewish peasant who is hearing this story and is understanding it because he lives in that time and that age and he understands what Jesus is saying. So we're going to try to do that, to see this story through the eyes of a Middle East peasant. We begin with Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, and the story begins with these words. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the Bible tells us that who stood up, eh? A lawyer. Now, how many of you are studying law or have studied law? Would you raise your hand? Sister, I know you were studying law. I know there's one or two other people, and our board chairman, Steve, who's a lawyer, is not here. But it's not that kind of lawyer. This is not the law lawyer. What this means is that this man had a Ph.D. in theology. This was a man who studied the scriptures and knew it well. And you notice that that he's not sure how to treat Jesus because the Bible tells us that he stood up. Now, in those days, a rabbi, when he was teaching, would sit down, and that was where all the other students would gather around them. So Jesus here is sitting down as a rabbi, as a teacher, and all of a sudden someone stands up in the crowd, the lawyer, and that's a sign of respect. But even though he's showing a sign of respect, the Bible says that he stood up to, to tempt him. So there's a little bit of respect, but there's a little bit of disrespect. They don't know how to to react to Jesus at this point. And he asked a very important question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do to inherit eternal life? What can any of us do, really, to inherit eternal life? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus answered and he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, Jesus understands the scenario. There's always Pharisees and spies from the temple, and they've kind of set up this lawyer to ask him this difficult question because the rumor is going around that Jesus is against the law, against the the traditions of the Jews. And so they ask him this difficult question. And friends, whenever someone asks you a difficult question, you should do what Jesus does. Ask them a question back. How do you know that Jesus is real? How do you know that God even exists? We get dispensive, right? Why don't you just ask them, well, how do you know that God doesn't exist? Oh, hmm. How do you know that Jesus is not real? What evidence do you have? Many times we are put on the defensive when really we should throw that question back to them. Jesus threw it back to this lawyer. He gave him permission to answer and listen to the beautiful answer. Someone taught this lawyer well. The Bible tells us that he answered in verse, um, he answered in verse number 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Do you see in your Bible, is it like mine? Do you see that it's italicized? Do you see that? What does it mean when, when scripture is italicized in the New Testament especially. What does that mean? 
That means a quotation. A quotation from where? From the Old Testament. You know, some people say the Ten Commandments have been done away with, that we only have to keep these two. But in fact, these are old commandments. They're found in the Old Testament. They're found in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The Bible tells us you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now the lawyer's a little embarrassed because he has answered his own question. So in other words, it's kind of like, why did you ask the question if you already knew the, the answer? But everybody kind of knows why, right? It's not that he didn't know the answer, is that he had a hard time what? Fulfilling the answer, right? And so to justify himself, the Bible says, in other words, he felt like, oh, I need to redeem myself. Everybody's thinking, oh, I know what's right, but I'm not doing it. To justify himself, the Bible says that he asked this question. What is the question? Who is my? Who is my what? Who is my neighbor? You see, the Jews in, that, in those days were struggling with this question. Who is my neighbor? And the teachings were differing. Some people said, this is your neighbor, that's your neighbor. They have different classes of Jews, lower class, middle class, higher class, the priest class. But everybody of the religious teachers of that day agreed that definitely the Gentiles did not, were not included as neighbors. Not included as neighbors. In fact, they had a teaching in that day that if you came across a Gentile in a ditch, do not help him out of the ditch. So the insinuation is you could push him in the ditch, but don't help him get out of the ditch. So in those days, they were still debating who was a neighbor, but they had agreements that it definitely was not a Gentile. So they asked Jesus to clarify this for them. Who is my neighbor? Oh, now we reel them in. Now we got Jesus where we want him. We got him in a debate. We're going to get him because now he's going to be either right for one group or wrong for the other. Who is my neighbor? Tell us, Jesus. Tell us who in Jewish society qualifies as your neighbor and who doesn't. And instead of getting caught up in that debate, I love it. Jesus tells a? Jesus tells a story. <laughs> I love it. He just tells the story. And the story is one that we have not forgotten. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is about a 17-mile trip. And it's in rocky, curvy terrain, very dangerous, a place where you could ambush somebody. And it did happen because that man fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. The Bible doesn't tell us what kind of man it was. It doesn't tell us if it was a high-class Jew, middle-class, low-class. It doesn't tell us anything other than it was a man, a certain man. But the Bible tells us that he was beaten half dead, so he was unconscious, and he was stripped naked. So that tells us that the way that a person who was a Jew would identify another Jew was taken away. Number one, how do you find out a person is a Jew? By asking them. That's what I do. When I look at someone that looks kind of Hispanic, you know, I'm like, hey, uh, where are you from? Hablas Espanol? 
They're like, uh, no, I don't. I'm from uh, the Middle East. Oh, my bad, you know. But if they are Hispanic, they'll say, oh, si, yo soy de Mexico, I'm from Guatemala. Oh, and we hug. So we, we know where people are from by the way we talk to them. But can that man tell someone coming along that he was a Jew? Yes or no? He was half dead. He was unconscious. Now, another way in those days to identify a Jew was by the way they dressed. They knew if that was a Samaritan or a Jew by the way they dressed. But someone coming across this man could not talk to him to find out if he was a Jew and could not identify him by his dress because the Bible tells us that he was stripped. He was stripped naked. And with that scene in mind, beaten up, stripped naked, half dead, the Bible tells us that two men came upon him. In verse 31, now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The Bible tells us that a priest was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now the only reason that a priest would be in Jerusalem is that if the lot had fallen on him to serve in the temple. And when you're serving in the temple, that means you have to be ceremonially clean. But you know what else they taught them in the temple? They actually taught them first aid. So people would come to the temple to receive first aid. So here's a religious leader. Here's someone who knows first aid. And he comes upon this man who is beaten up, half dead, and naked. And the Bible says that he sees him kind of from afar, but he doesn't get too close. Because if by chance he's a Gentile, if you get within six feet of a Gentile, you become ceremoniously unclean. And so here he was thinking, I'm not sure if that's a Jew, I'm not sure if that's a Gentile, but I know if it is a Gentile and I help him, then I'm going to have to go through the trouble of going back to Jerusalem, offering a offering for my uncleanness, and have to go through all that ritual mess. It's not worth it. Mercy. I hope there's, there's not some priests like that among our church where we come across people in need and we say, oh, maybe I should help them, but man, I'm late for class, I'm late for work, it's an inconvenience. I hope that we don't have that same attitude. So what happened to the priest? He kept going. But the Bible tells us that now a Levite came. And a Levite is not quite like a priest. A Levite is someone who serves in the temple but is not offering the sacrifices. And he comes a little bit closer because he doesn't have to worry about being ceremoniously clean. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10 and verse 32, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked but passed by on the other side, Levi also said, hmm, I should help, but ah, mm, I'm going to go this time. Not going to bother. Now, if you're following the story and you're, a, and you're a peasant Jew, if you are a person who is a Jewish, you're kind of seeing a sequence here, right? The priest, the Levite, and what do you expect to come next? Naturally, you expect a common Jew, Right? It's like the priest, the Levite, and the common Jew. And so all the common Jews are kind of like, oh, yeah, the hero of the story is coming. It's going to be a common Jew like me. And yeah, the hero is coming. 
But Jesus is like that. When, he think, when you think that Jesus is heading one way in his teachings, boom, he turns it around on you and shows you that you're going completely in the opposite direction because it wasn't priest, Levite, common Jew. All of a sudden, it's priest, Levite, and what? And Samaritan, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had? What? He had compassion. Do you know that that is the same word that is used in the story of the prodigal son? When the father looks upon his son running to him and he has compassion upon him. It's the love of a father. It's the love of God. It's the love to our neighbor. Now, it was a Samaritan. I mean, the the jaws must have dropped in church that day. And people must have been like... What did he just say? Because in Jewish culture, a Samaritan, well, there was nothing worse than Samaritan. You know remember what they said to Jesus when they tried to insult him? They, they, they were trying to find like the worst cuss words at him. And they're like, you, you, you're, you're a Samaritan. I mean, that's the worst thing they could say. They said, you're a Samaritan and you're filled with the devil. That's a, that was the greatest insult that they could find was you're a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And the Bible tells us here that a Samaritan came and had compassion. Verse 34. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he had departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer, not even wanting to say Samaritan, says, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do what? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Get your pens ready. We're going to fly through this uh, very quickly today. So what is the main central teaching of this parable? In the book, uh, Desire of Ages 497, Ellen White commenting on the theme of this story, that I think is so clear, but she puts it in nicer words than I ever could. She says, in the story of the Good Samaritan, Christ illustrates the nature of true religion. She illustrates the nature of true religion religion he shows that it consists not in what systems creeds or titles what does it consist of then if it's not of systems creeds or titles true religion is in the performance of loving deeds in bringing the greatest good to others no matter who it is in genuine goodness wow what a great summary of that story so What great question did the young uh, man, the young lawyer, ask Jesus? Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Do you remember that there was another man, maybe other young man, who asked a similar question in the Bible? Do you guys remember that? It wasn't the young lawyer, but it was the young was a young ruler or rich man and he asked a similar question in Matthew chapter 19 verse 16 good master what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life what they both wanted to know what they needed to do to inherit eternal life 
How did Jesus answer the, the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? The Bible tells us that he told them this. If thou will enter into eternal life, keep the what? Man, this certainly makes Seventh-day Adventists happy, right? This answer? We're like, yeah, keep the commandments. Because Seventh-day Adventists, you know, Revelation 12, 17, we keep the commandments and have the? Yeah, we have the testimony of Jesus, right? Yeah, keep the commandments. So definitely, we like this answer. Or, you know, we're, we're good with this answer. But uh, the Bible tells us that when he was talking to the rich young ruler, he quoted the commandments. And he quoted all the commandments in Matthew chapter 19, verse uh, 18 and 19. It says there, and he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch that? Jesus changed up the Ten Commandments. Because he quoted all the commandments on the second table, except one. Which one did he not quote? Do not... That's the first. That one's on the first. So we're talking about the second. Do not covet. Instead of saying do not covet your neighbor's house, wife, maidservant, you know, all that good stuff. He says instead he adds another one. You shall love your neighbor as your, as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why did he do that? Why did he omit the do not covet and you shall love your neighbor as your? As yourself. Why would he do that? Turn to your neighbor. Tell him. Why would he do that? No, don't tell him that, but give him the answer. Why would Jesus, the rich young ruler, now remember who he's talking to. He says all the commandments on the second tablet except the do not covet. Instead he says love your, love your neighbor as, as yourself. Why do you do that? Man, you guys are scared of your neighbor here. What's going on? All right, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. He answered Jesus, all these things, the second table of the law, I kept from my youth. What lack I yet? Man, this, this young man would have made a good Seventh-day Adventist, right? He's talking about the law. He's talking about I kept the law since I was little. I've been in Pathfinders, Adventures. I've gone to church school. I've even gone to university, Adventist universities. What more do I lack? What do I got to do? To inherit eternal life. But he forgot that Jesus, he took one commandment off and added another principle, a, a commandment which was love your, your neighbor. So now Jesus is going to take it to the point. Matthew chapter 19 verse 21. If that will be what? Perfect. Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. In another, in a, a parallel story, he also says that Jesus says he loved this young man. And he said, carry your cross and follow me. And so we see here that in order to inherit eternal life, we need to be perfect. But here Jesus is using the word perfect not only to mean not doing evil or gaining victory over sin or keeping the commandments perfectly because a young man already said, I do those things. 
So perfect here, Jesus is saying, is not only keeping the commandments perfectly like you think, Jesus makes it very practical. If you want to be perfect, he says, to do what? It's not only an external observance of the law, but it's put in action, which here, for you, young man, is to give all your goods to to the poor. You know, Romans chapter 13, verse 10 tells us, love is the fulfilling of the law. Why don't we quote that memory verse more? Love is the fulfilling of the, of the law. Isn't that beautiful? And so we find here that when he is told that he has to sell everything, thou has ans- uh, the Bible tells us that the young man went away sorrowful because he had a great many possessions now let's go back to the story of the prodigal i mean of the samaritan because here the rich the lawyer is asking the same question and he gives an answer thou has answered right to love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul with strength and mind jesus says you answered right this do and thou shalt live eternally so what did the rich young ruler say was needed for eternal life to keep the commandments. What did the young lawyer say? To love God and love your neighbor. Did they give the same answer or did they give a different answer? Okay, talk about it with your neighbor. Did they give the same answer or did they give a different answer? Hmm? Remember what I said, Romans 13, 10. Love is the fulfilling of the? Did they give the same or a different answer? It's the same answer, but yet they didn't grasp it themselves. So the story of the Good Samaritan is big, and it's beautiful, and it's deep for Christians who want not only eternal life, but want to understand how love and the commandments have to do about it. So what is the commandments that the young lawyer said, he said, love the Lord your God. Now what's interesting is that he quoted the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy, and then he quoted love your neighbor in the book of Leviticus. Which book comes first in the Old Testament? Deuteronomy or Leviticus? Don't make me put you on the spot. How many of you say Deuteronomy? How many of you say Leviticus? Okay, Leviticus comes first. So being a lawyer and being so organized, you'd think he'd quote the book of Leviticus first and then quote the book of Deuteronomy. So he should have said something like, well, love your neighbor and then love the Lord your God. But someone had taught that young man really good that in order to love your neighbor, you must first have the love of God in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. If not, it is impossible to love your neighbor. And that's why Jesus told this story to show us the love of God, that this story doesn't only have to do with you, but it has to do with the whole story of salvation. Because the Bible tells us who is it that came down to harm humanity, to beat us up, to strip us, to hurt us. When the Bible, in John chapter 10, when Jesus was speaking about Satan, he says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more, what? 
they might have it more abundantly. So when the story is told, who is represented by the man who was robbed, stripped, and wounded? Who is that man for us? Well, Ms. White says in Desire of Ages clearly, she says man has been deceived, bruised, robbed, and ruined by Satan and left to, to what? To perish. Is that true or is that false? Has humanity been bruised, beaten, robbed, and left for dead? Absolutely. And before that, man was covered with the robe of righteousness, but Satan introduced sin, and now we are stripped of that robe of righteousness if we don't have Jesus, and we're naked and destitute. The man in the parable was left half dead, and that's an apt description for us without Jesus Christ. Even when we were dead in sins is when Jesus Christ found us. Now, before Jesus Christ found us, though, the story tells us that there became a priest and a Levite who came, who looked, and kept on going. Who is represented by the priest and the Levites? You and me and all lost humanity are the, the man who was beaten, bruised. Satan is the thief. Who is the Levite and the priest? Hmm? I'm not even, that's a whole other sermon. I'm not even going to get into that one today. That's, that's, that's a, mm, that's, well, let's not go there. But who's represented by the Good Samaritan? Who's represented by the Good Samaritan? The, the Desire of Ages, page 504, tells us this beautiful quote of what Jesus did when he came to earth. He left his glory to come to our rescue. He found, he found, he found us ready to die and he undertook our case. He healed our wounds, and he covered us with his robe of righteousness. He opened to us a refuge of safety and made complete provision for us at his own charges. He died to redeem us. I love this. I love this part because you see, Jesus is saying, I'm the Samaritan. I'm the Samaritan. Don't, don't lose this. Jesus, Jesus left heaven to come to earth. And when he came to earth, he came to the Jewish nation. And what did the Jewish nation do to him? It rejected him. It talked bad about him. He was looked down upon. Just like the Samaritans were rejected and looked down upon and mistreated, Jesus is the good Samaritan. But when he came to us, when we were broken, beaten, and naked, he took his robe of righteousness and he covered us, but he has something else too. He has something else to offer us because the Bible story tells us that that good Samaritan got down on his knees and he got out of his pack something. He got two things. What were they? Oil and, and wine. What do those things what do those things represent? What is represented by the wine? And the Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28 says, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of, of sins. In order to heal our wounds, heal our sickness, he got down on his knees and he poured out his life for us he poured out that wine that is represented of the healing power of his blood so are you weak are you beaten down he has healing for you 
but not only healing because this man needed power. And so he got oil. What does the oil represent? I love the story, the vision Zechariah gets of that candlesticks and the oil coming from the trees and lighting up those, those lamps. And then Zechariah hears this voice say, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Yes, the oil represents the power and the anointing of his spirit. Jesus Christ came to you when you were broken, when you were uh, beaten, when you were half dead. And when Jesus Christ found you, he covered you with his righteousness. He poured out his blood for you and he has anointed you with his oil, with his Holy Spirit power. Wow. Praise God. And we continue in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And Jesus gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When the Samaritan took this man, he took him where? To an to a where? To an inn. He took him to an inn. What is represented by an inn, friends? Jesus is the good Samaritan. The thief is Satan. He stripped us of everything, but Jesus has closed us. Jesus has redeemed us with his blood. Jesus has given us power of his spirit. But then he carries us to the inn. What does the inn represent? Hmm? Someone's saying it here. It represents the? The what? The church. Do you believe that? Is she speaking truth or not? Put you on the spot there. You agree that? Yes? When Jesus binds up your wounds, he doesn't leave you on the road. He wants you to connect with a community of believers, and that's why you're here. Because we were all outside. We were all robbed and beaten and alone, and he brought you here. And you know what Jesus said? He said, let me give you some resources so that you could take care of the sick man. Let me give you some resources. And the Bible says he gave some denarii. But the Bible tells us that the church has been given resources by God because he's given apostles in the church and prophets in the church and evangelists in the church and pastors and teachers in the church. He's giving you friends in the church. He's giving you spiritual mothers in the church. He's giving you spiritual fathers in the church. He's giving you spiritual brothers and aunties and uncles. God has poured out some resources in the inn to take care of his people that come in here. But that's only if they're in here. And that's only if we go out there, right? They can only be in here if we go out there. That makes sense to me. And the innkeeper took care of him because the Samaritan had to, had to go. Isn't that right? Acts chapter 1 verse 9. Then Jesus was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. But you know what? John chapter 14 verse 3. Jesus says to his disciples, I will come what? I will come again. And that's the very thing that the good Samaritan says to the innkeeper. When I Come again, I will repay thee. Mm. When Jesus comes again, he will repay you for being a loving, 
Christian to the person next to you who you brought into this church. He will crown you with crowns of glory. He will usher you in to the eternal home, and he will say, well done, my good servants. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall, shall what? According to his work shall be. Friends, Christ Object Lessons, page 376 says, it has no reference. It has no reference when it's talking about who is your neighbor. It has no reference to what? Race, color, or class distinction. Our neighbor is every person who needs our what? How many of people have passed someone along who is in need of help? Have you passed someone along who is in need of help? Have you left them there because you were late for church, you're late for work, you're late for dinner, you're late for class, you're late for appointments? They needed your help, but you passed them by, just like the priest and the Levites. No wonder we still got empty benches here. Because we need to bring in the sick people. Our neighbor is every soul who is wounded and bruised by the adversary. Our neighbor is everyone who is the property of, of God. That was convicting to me. Because when I think of ministry, you know, sometimes we say, I got to focus on the students. Or I got to focus on this group of people. But Jesus here is rebuking the pastor saying, no, no, no. Everyone who comes across you who has a need that is your neighbor, and you are to do the greatest good to that person. The greatest good to that person. I think that maybe we need to westernize the story a little bit more, to put it in perspective, to know a little bit more what God is meaning when he's asking us to be a good Samaritan. Because when the young lawyer is told the story, then Jesus tells him, Go do likewise. Jesus is the good Samaritan, but he's asking you to be a Samaritan as well. And I think maybe to westernize it, we need to go maybe to the 1800s, to maybe the wild, wild west of California. Who's from California here? Anybody from California? Back in the days, in the days of cowboys, maybe there was a western town out there where cowboys were, and they had a long day with the horses, Long day in the ranch, and they came to the local inn. You know how it is in the local inn. Had some rooms, but also had some bad stuff. Had some drinking, had some partying, anything that you want for your pleasures. The cowboys came in after a long day of work. But as they were about to sit down to drink, they looked, and they saw that at the entrance of the town, there came a silhouette someone coming into town and it wasn't a horse in fact it was a pony cowboys don't ride ponies but it was a man leading a pony and the man leading a pony well the man leading the pony wasn't a cowboy it was an Indian and on the pony they saw a naked white man covered with the skins the animal skins of this Indian walking into town walking into town slowly and everybody looks some people snicker under their breath what's this 
good-for-nothing Indian doing here? But then they look at the, then they look at the white man on the horse. His head is scalped. He's been beaten. He's been robbed. He's been hurt. And the Indian brings this man into that saloon, into that inn. He lays him down, covers him, goes to the table, lays out as much little coins as he has collected in his life and puts it down there. And he says, please, take care of this, this man I found on the road. And he tells the innkeeper, I'll be back. I, I need to do some more hunting. I need to do some more preparing. I'll sell some more stuff and I'll come back and whatever I owe you, I'll make it up to you. But please, take care of that man. A cowboy and an Indian. But the Indian didn't care who it was because he knew that that was his neighbor. And you could only love your neighbor if first you felt the love of God in your life. So who are you feeling uncomfortable today to help? Who in your life have you walked by because they're a Samaritan, because they're an Indian and you're a cowboy? And I'm not going to get into today's politics, but who is your neighbor who you're treating like you're not supposed to treat? My invitation to you as a pastor is go to that person and bring them into this inn. And we'll love them and we'll take care of them. And by God's grace, when the good Samaritan, the greatest Samaritan returns, we shall all enter into his kingdom together. We're not going to finish the handout in case you didn't notice. <laughs> but every time I walk outside and I hear the music and I see the young people drinking and partying. And then I come back the next morning and I see him walking after the good times, quote unquote. And I see him walking, women walking alone back to their place, looking tired, looking worn, looking sad. I see young men picking up trash, and they look kind of discouraged. They look kind of sad. They look kind of beaten up. They look kind of robbed. They look kind of naked. And I wonder if they are your neighbor. Let's give our neighbor some hope, huh? Let's do it today after church. That's it. That's my invitation. Go do likewise. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be like you. Thank you so much for this story of the Good Samaritan. And I pray, Father, that we would fulfill your words. Go do likewise to everyone, especially to those who we might not consider our neighbors because they're so different, they're so far away from us, but they have needs. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.